Welcome to the Nerdthusiast Music Podcast, where today we are going to be discussing Before Nevermind. It is essentially a group of bands from that period of time that would have influenced Nirvana, since this is the 30th anniversary of Nevermind. But before we get into all that, my name's Matt. You guys can follow me over on Twitter at from NJ to CA, and I'm here with my co-host John. John, how are you, sir? I'm doing great today, Matt. How you doing? Not too bad, man. Where can people find you on social media? I am at sloopjohn232 at on Instagram and on Twitter. I am on at sloopj232. Awesome, awesome. Make sure you guys support us also. It really helps us out if you can support us on Patreon. You can support us for as little as $1 a month. With your support, you can vote on poll topics, get access to uh, exclusive videos from a variety of our creators each month. Plus, you can get shout-outs, just like Juan. Shout-out to you, Juan. Thank you for your support this month over on Patreon. Now, before listening to this episode, we strongly recommend you check out our Spotify playlist. We will be sending us out. This, these songs and bands are everything we're going to go over today. So if you haven't had a chance to check that out, go to our Twitter account. You guys should see it tweeted out. Today is December 12th. We'll make sure we get that tweeted out today for you. Uh, I think we did it once before, but we want to make sure you guys have it, so we're going to tweet it out again. Now, last week, we were supposed to originally record this episode, but something came up last minute. John, what happened last Sunday? Well, I was setting up the computer, uh, getting ready to uh, record with you when I get a text from um, my good friend uh, Aurora down here, who texted me last second with a free ticket to see a band that we've mentioned on every single episode so far, and that is Weezer. So I got to see Weezer for my first time last minute. Oh, that was your first time. It was my first time. Well, here's the thing. I just miss, I always missed Weezer when they would just play on their own, when they would play clubs on their own. So nowadays they tend to play overpriced festivals where I just don't care about any of the other bands playing. Totally understand that. Or they're opening for bands that I just don't really care about either, that I might have some interest in, but I'm not in love with. Now, in this instance, they were playing one of those overpriced festivals that I didn't care about any of the bands. But I got the text at 5.30, and Weezer was going on at about 7.30. So by the time I got ready and got to my friend's house and went there, we got there a half hour before Weezer played, and we went for free, and it was amazing. Now, the only thing that stunk was halfway between one of their songs, the sound went out. Oh, and shit. they had to get off and they had to get off stage for a bit. And Rivers leaves the stage and he is angry and mad. <laughs> and they come back out about 15 minutes later or so, and they rip into a cover of uh Enter Sandman. Awesome. Very right. cool. Well, the thing is, after the set, I go, I have to see what their set list was like the night before. It was just about exactly the same except for the two songs that occurred right before Enter Sandman. And they were El Scorcho and Pink Triangle. So I missed oh, the two. They cut out the two Pinkerton songs oh, because the sound man. went out. Dude, no. No. I know. So, that sucks really bad, too, because Rivers notoriously, like, it, unless something's changed very recently, he does not like playing really anything off of Pinkerton. He, like, does not like that album, you know. For whatever reason, I don't. But what's funny is like all the fans love that album like super like super hardcore now, and he like typically doesn't like playing songs off of it. I figured out why he doesn't like it. Why is that? Because 
those lyrics are pretty cringe creepy. <laughs> like, like you're at home listening to it, really cool. It can't be fun to play them. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Like they're pretty cringe creepy. It's like, ooh, yeah, ooh, ooh. Okay. All right. Yeah, I never thought about that. I guess. Yeah. Next time we listen to it, think about it. Yeah. I mean, they're I'm great songs. Already thinking about it. I know every song off that record. Like, yeah. In the back of my hand. Yeah. So yeah. Then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So that's. <laughs> but but all in all, great show. Uh, Rivers was killing it. I mean, hearing Surf Wax US, Surf Wax America for the first time live was kind of just amazing to me. Oh, like, dude, that song rocks live. It rocks. really does. I was having so much fun. It was just, and here's the cool part too. The show was literally on the beach. That's so dope. That's and so dope. people are going to find this shocking, but since I moved to Fort Lauderdale four years ago, that was my first time hitting the beach. <laughs> what? I hate That's the beach. Insane. I hate the beach. Unless I'm surfing, I hate the beach. And I haven't been surfing in like eight years. Oh man, I love I love the beach. I love going to the beach. I love chilling on the beach. Definitely like watching the shows the on the beach because we're able to do that pretty frequently out here as well. I like the smell of the beach. I like being like three blocks from the beach. My mom lives two hundred feet from the beach. I always like hanging out at my mom's house. It smells great. That's probably because you grew up there, so you're just like, yeah, there's nothing special. It's right there. But then if you yeah. live somewhere else, you would like go there every day. You know, I didn't move to I didn't move to the, I didn't move to the shore until I was 16. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought you were there for like the majority of your life. Nah, Philly burbs until 16, and then then I moved to the shore. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. but yeah, great show, awesome time, and I'll have to see him again in the hopes that I get some Pinkerton songs next time. Yeah, we're definitely going to do a show about Weezer because I have thoughts. And I've seen oh, that'll be a fun times. one. That'll be a oh, fun yeah. one. That'll be a fun one. That'll be filled with uh, joy, hate, controversy. <laughs> now, before we get into the, the songs from this album and the bands from this album, um, well, let's go over the bands first, and then we're going to play a very quick game. I, I came up with some words that like kind of stuck with me as I was listening to these bands, some of them which for the first time, uh, many of which I've heard before, uh, some of the songs I haven't heard before. So it's a very mixed bag for me and some, like, you know, Heard some stuff, heard some bands, haven't heard any bands, haven't heard any stuff. So I came up with some sentences or some words or some phrases for John to guess at which band I'm referring to. So the choices are Husker Du, The Replacements, Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Jr., and The Pixies. Please go listen to the podcast, or I'm sorry, the um, Spotify playlist before this. But anyways, John, so just guess these for for you, because you're going to be doing a lot of talking very soon, so... I want to get my talking in at the beginning. What do you think was my favorite of the bunch of bands from this playlist? I think I have it narrowed down to two. <laughs> Which two? Let uh, me know. I'm going to think Husker Du or Dinosaur Jr. You're correct. Now you have to figure out which of the two it is. I will say Dinosaur Jr. You are 100% correct. Dinosaur Co- Jr., was the best band out of all of it, at least for me. Everybody has different opinions. Everybody's going to like different music. I I really enjoyed Dinosaur Jr. And I will say that I did not necessarily make this playlist as a best of, necessarily. It was more of a way I thought was the best way to do a fluid playlist. Nice. Like it just kind so of it didn't sound... It, I, didn't, I felt like it didn't sound choppy at all. It, it just kind of went through in a nice A to Z fashion 
Yeah, it was a and good mix kinda, too. Nothing really yeah. sounded similar, you know. Mm-hmm. That was that was the idea. Yeah, you know, the songs kind of flowed together, but they weren't like, oh, this sounds just like this song. This sounds just like this song. That wasn't the case whatsoever. Um, now, next up, who should have been huge? And to be truthful, I don't think that I don't know that this band was huge or not, but I think they should have been. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they were huge and I wasn't aware of it. I mean, from a talent and influence standpoint and songwriting ability, the ability is all there. I would say Husker do. But as far as timing everything proper, it always shocks me that Sonic Youth wasn't bigger. So I would say Sonic Youth. No, not for me. Okay. For me, it was the replacements. They may have been, were they huge? Because I don't think that they were huge, but I feel like they should have been. Well, what's funny that you say that is I kind of want to take back my answer now and say the replacements because honestly, <laughs> no, because I it's it's I, I, I almost completely forgot that the replacements were part of this whole thing. <laughs> and I made the, the I'm the curator of this whole thing. No, the replacements absolutely should have been 100 percent massive and they were so close and it's almost by their own self-destruction intentionally. That they really? weren't. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll go into it when they talk about it, when we talk about them at more at longer length. But there's a book out there that details all of it, and it's about to be made a biopic. So oh, nice. yeah, yeah. So it uh, the at replacements they had so many chances to be the next big thing. They they were basically in competition with REM to be the next big thing and rem who were not mentioned in this who are not mentioned in this uh, whole thing that we're doing because rem did break before nirvana they broke into the mainstream about five years earlier and we're pro we're basically the first you know american indie band to really make it mainstream but this is more about the nirvana influence so we did not really we did, i didn't want to include rem into the, the mix yeah, that, but that it was the sense. replacements and R- replacements and REM were very much were very much competitive act to for, for that place. I mean, when when I listened to them, like because this is really the first time I listened to the replacements. I think I might have heard like a song or two before, but not really like paying attention, you know. But when I listened to them this time, I was like, man, how were these not radio hits? Like how how did nobody, you know, uh, not that nobody didn't listen to them, but how are they not huge? Like that was the that's what came to my mind with them. So that that's why I picked that phrase for them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I I've 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 talked about it a lot in my that's that's actually a, a very frequent bar conversation I have is the replacements what could have been. <laughs> like it's one of those it's one of those ultimate questions. Now the next one you're you're going to this is I'm going to give you a softball right now. <laughs> Cuz I don't know how to like put this band every time I hear like how much distortion can we possibly use? Is something that probably went into this band's discussion at some point. <laughs> Uh, Husker do? Yeah. Dude, this is the most distortion I think I've ever heard a band use in my entire... Like, I don't even know how you get the distortion that high. Like, it's unbelievable. Uh, this, uh, this, this, uh, guy Pat down here, who's in a great, great local punk band called Shakers. We talk, repla- we talk, uh, replacements, Husker do. We talk early punk rock records a lot at length. And he was saying he can't tell... If Husker Du records are the best or worst engineered records on planet Earth, it's one or the other. That's, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome, man. It's so true because you're like, I don't even know how it. Like, I, I'm sitting like every time I hear them, like I'm like, I don't even know how it sounds like this. 
it doesn't necessarily sound bad, but it's like, how, how do you squeeze that much distortion out of an amplifier? Like, what the hell are you doing to that amplifier? Yeah. And, and yet with these like great melodies, it's <laughs> kind of crazy. Definitely is. Definitely yeah. is. My next one is, so, all right, so we have two left. I'll let you figure this out. So I, they're kind of opposites. So you can figure out, you know, which one is which. You, you can guess anyways. And you, you, who knows if you know. But one I wrote indifference and the other one deservedly so. I'm going to say you were indifferent to the Pixies. No. Sonic Youth I was indifferent to. Hmm. The Pixies I was like actually pretty impressed with. So like I I know that their level of fame was like they were pretty famous. They weren't like they weren't huge. They were famous mm-hmm. enough, like so that for them it was like deservedly so. But Sonic Youth, man, like look, I'm not saying anything bad. There's actually there's one song in there I liked a lot. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but I'm sure it will, it'll bring it up at some point. But for the most part, every time I hear Sonic Youth, I'm like, eh, it's fine, <laughs> it's all right. And I'm like, eh, that's crazy. <laughs> I know, but I, this is the second go around I've had with Sonic Youth. Uh, a friend I had back in the day uh, gave me a Sonic Youth record and. I listened to that record a whole bunch. I'm like, oh, it's fine. It's nothing. You know, it's fine. You know, I and I, feel, I still, you know, 20 years later, I still feel the same way. Feel it's fine, oh, man. Okay. <laughs> okay. But anyways, let's not focus on the negative. Let's hop into some different things. Uh, where do you want to go with this, John? Where do you want to start out? Well, I'll start off with the um, with the first band that I that I did include in the on the playlist. How I opened the playlist was. Uh, with um, the replacements, kids don't follow, and there was a specific reason for why I started the playlist with that song. That was uh, very early replacements. That's uh, that w- when when the replacements formed, they basically formed as a straight up punk rock, almost like a Minneapolis hardcore band, because that's what was big at that time. But they weren't really punk rock kids, like it, it, they. They all came, Bob, Bob and Bob Stinson and Paul Westerberg, who formed the band, very much came up in a pop rock environment. That's kind of the band they wanted to start. But the big things were the punk rock bands at the time. And they were like, hey, we can do that. So they put out a punk rock record. And now here's an interesting thing on it. When they put out their first record, Sorry Ma, I Forgot to Take Out the Trash, Tommy Stinson, who was their bass player, was only. 14 years old. Damn. So, so his older brother, Bob, Bob Stinson and Paul Westerberg, who formed the band, they were in their early twenties and there's Tommy at 14. <laughs> so w- while the replacements are becoming this major independent act in, on, in, uh, Tommy's still in high school. That's so weird. It's crazy. <laughs> Like they're tearing up like the independent charts and there's Tommy in high school. I Found mean, it you super... gotta feel like a boss, man. I can only imagine being 14 years old and like having that, you know, that. Oh yeah. Th- those stories, those stories, there's, there's a great book, as I mentioned earlier, it's called uh trouble boys, the true story of the replacements by a guy named Bob Mayer. And he t- anywhere you can find an interview with him, it's awesome when he talks about this book. He is the biggest replacements fan you would ever meet. And here's the interesting thing about this biography. 
it's not one of those authorized biographies where basically they can't include any dirt, but it's not an unauthorized uh, biography where all they're doing is trashing the band. He got, <laughs> he got interviews from all living members of the band and anybody associated with the band. Cause he was basically like, look, I'm going in this like a private investigator. I'm going to find it whether or not you want it me to or not. So you can uh, participate or don't it's up to you. And, awesome. um, there, uh, Paul especially was like, okay, yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you everything. <laughs> so it is like the most detailed, like some of the stories you hear about this band are just insane. Like you were asking why this band did not be, were not bigger. So they do their punk rock records, which were awesome. And then they move more into indie, indie territory with uh, the let it be record, which was kind of, to me, that's my favorite replacements record. Now that just shows you how much of arrogant assholes they were. We're going to put out a record and title it the same title as a Beatles record. And it's just to mess with our manager who's a Beatles obsessive because we don't like the Beatles. That's awesome. It's almost yeah. like a double entendre, too, because they're saying, like, let it be to him. Like, hey, just let the let it be, you know, like, but it's also oh, and I, reference. Like, and I know? do the same. I do the same thing, though. I'll talk to I'll, t- I'll talk to like people who are like these big Beatles obsessive. And full disclosure, I actually like the Beatles. I just I like, like the Beatles as well. I just love messing with Beatles obsessives because they because they are because they're lost in this whole little thing that there can only be one greatest band of all time, and that's ridiculous. And I think it that's is, abs- it is absurd. it's absurd. Like there shouldn't be this band that is just declared the greatest band of all time. So I will I'll joke around. I'll be like, oh, let it be by the Beatles. That's the second best album entitled Let It Be. Interesting <laughs> fact. <laughs> So this is let it be. Uh, let it be becomes a um, becomes a big uh, college radio hit, big on the uh, indie circuits, which is why Sire Records decides to sign them. Now, the replacement signing with a major label wasn't just all that easy. It, there was lots of the replacements messing with A and R people from other from other uh, labels. Basically, what would happen is A and R people go and see the band that they want to sign, and you're supposed to be on your you're supposed to put on your best show that night. And there would be like, say, somebody from Geffen there, and the replacements would be like, "All right, let's let's drink a thirty pack each and go out and play crappy George Thorogood covers." <laughs> and then somebody'd be like, "But George Thorogood, we don't like George Thorogood in it." And you're like, "Yeah, I know, it'll suck. It'll be fun." Like they were just like out there. So they would either put on the greatest show you've ever seen or the worst. You did not know what replacements you, uh, you were getting to see. And I, on another podcast I heard, they go, how many people do you think the replacements embarrassed? Because they were like taking their friends. Oh, I saw the best band. You got to go see this band. (laughs) And then you go on there and they're playing ABBA covers drunk. And, awesome. and, oh, and Bob just walked off stage to use the bathroom and we can't find Bob anymore. Like, <laughs> they would have these shows. So it was either the greatest show or the worst show. And you can get bootlegs of these terrible shows. That's unbelievable. But Sire Records, they loved them. They signed them. Uh, there's really hilarious stories about those negotiations. But the replacements kind of become, it's like, all right, here we are. We're, we're on a major label. We're going to blow up. All right, Sire Records wants to them to do a radio wants them to do a video for MTV for the song Bastards of Young. So Paul goes, "Oh, I got a great idea. 
we'll just have a speaker playing the song and that'll be the video. <laughs> oh my God. Then they get invited to Saturday Night Live. They are on Saturday Night Live. Well, yeah, you would imagine, like, if you listened to this band and didn't know anything about them, you would feel like they're on track to be, you know, they, they have like, like almost like a pop sound to them. Like they have catchy, catchy lyrics. Like the songs sound really good. Like it sounds like they, they really took their time in the studio and didn't just, you know, shit something out. Oh, I, I, uh, I always say the replacements with Paul's songwriting and everything, it almost reminds me if like Springsteen had a more punk rock influence and they didn't have a million people in the band. <laughs> I can kind of see that. It makes sense. like simple, honest songs with that are catchy as hell. They're you so know? catchy. I mean, they all, they, they could be, they, they could have so many radio hits, but they get on Saturday night live. And what do they do? Drop F bombs during <laughs> live on TV during uh, Bastards of Young, and they get banned from SNL. So I mean, basically, get banned on the live show. Yeah. So and then I mean, they they always notoriously they were they were the band that just notoriously had uh, alcohol problems on the on tour, like just really 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 bad uh, drinking stories to the point where when they went to record their next uh, album pleased to meet me bob bob stinson they had to kick bob out of the band which had to have been really tough for tommy because tommy's you know he's contributing more to the band now but he's bob's younger brother bob brought him he he was bob's 14 year old brother that bob brought into the band and taught him how to play bass you know and now tommy and paul are kicking bob out of the band he's one of the founders you know and there are some people that will not listen to Replacements Records after Tim, which was their their major label debut on Sire, because it's the post-Bob era, mm. which I think is kind of absurd because I think the next uh two I think the next two records were actually pretty unreal that they put out um without without Bob. And the first one was Pleased to Meet Me. That actually has probably their biggest well-known hit in can't hardly wait nice i mean they name they name a movie after the song you know (laughs) (laughs) true and so they after that they put out don't tell soul which was great now here's the cool thing though about the please to meet me box set that just came out recently they actually have the demos that they for the a lot of these songs they put out when bob was still in the band before they before they did the final recordings before they kicked him out of the band. So he did go into the studio to record them. So nice. these demos do exist and it's cool. And it, and they only surfaced recently. This is one of those bands that I find it very interesting that I've been a completist of for years. And then these box sets come out and then they're like, oh, here's a hundred tracks you've never heard before. <laughs> I'm like, where have these been all my life? I, I am curious. I mean, you're, you're talking about getting these box sets and stuff. Are you listening to these box sets digitally or are you still purchasing like physical media or are you buying like CDs or anything like that it's a case-by-case basis okay with these with these uh with these replacements uh box sets absolutely getting them on vinyl absolutely absolutely like the replacements are one of those bands that i just i call them a heart band because they actually own a piece of my heart (laughs) i um i just adore this band and i think their entire history i find fascinating like like even the post bob years with Pleased to meet me. They basically recorded it as a three piece. 
which is really cool. They, they've never been a three piece. And then when they put out their uh, their uh, next record, uh, Don't Tell a Soul, which is a lot of people think this is when the this is when they really fell off. And now for me, I listen to this record and I go, this should have been their MTV's playing this record 24 seven. Mm. Every song on this is a perfect pop song. Perfect. And I think that's what a lot of people didn't like. Now, the initial mix that came out, I am not totally in love with. Like when I listened to the original record as came out. Now, these two alternate mixes that have come out on the on the box set. The box set's called Dead Man's Pop, by the way. It's a great, great box set. But it has two alternate mixes of this record. And I think they're both better. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a uh, one mix that was done by producer Matt Wallace, who's a great producer, and it has more of a uh, rock and vibe to it. It doesn't sound as hollow as the uh, as the one that they they settled on. It has more of a rock and it feels more like the replacements. And then the replacements would put out their next record after that, which was all shook up. And that was the official end of the replacements because it has. It's essentially a Paul Westerberg solo record. Mm hmm. Tommy's only on a couple songs. Uh, Chris Mars, who was the original drummer, is only on a couple songs. A lot of studio musicians on it. A lot of Paul playing his own instruments. Little input put out by everybody else, and then the band called it a day. So they do they do any like shows randomly from time to time, or is that are they pretty much just done? Oh, it was. Uh, oh, you mean did they get back together uh, almost twenty years later and have make for the two greatest shows I've ever been to in my life? Yes, that <laughs> did happen, Matt. Um, but I mean, in the meantime, interesting things happened with that band. Very interesting th- things happened with that band. Chris Mars, their original drummer, he becomes a world-renowned artist, like painter. Like he he does not play drums anymore, That's like crazy. at all. Tommy Stinson joined Guns N' Roses, was in Guns N' Roses for that entire time before they got back to get before the uh, Duff came back in the band. And in actuality, well, he put out an also great side pro- uh, a project that he put out called Bash and Pop. I can't recommend this stuff enough. Nobody knew that Tommy could sing and man, Tommy can sing. And these sound like early replacements records. They're awesome. Bash and Pop. Can't recommend them enough. But when he was in Guns N' Roses, I mean, he was basically there from... 1996 to 2015 oh, essentially okay. yeah yeah almost 20 years time. yeah so they're playing guns and roses are playing in uh england and just by chance duff mckagan is staying in the same hotel as axel rose <laughs> like it's just a just random ass thing this was not planned at all it was just like my people found out through your people and uh, Duff and Axel give each other a big old hug and they're having lunch and Duff's, uh, Duff says, Axel says to Duff, hey, you want to come on and play a song with us tonight? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, people are going to lose their shit. He's like, yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> so it happens. They have a good old time. About, uh, about a year later, the replacements are getting back together. Tommy and Paul are getting the band back together. Even though Chris doesn't play drums anymore and Bob is dead, uh, they're going to have a replacement guitarist and Josh Freeze from the Vandals and a million other projects is going to play drums and the replacements are going to play shows. And it so, so happens that it's around the same time guns and roses are doing their, uh, South American tour. And Tommy says to Axel, it says, dude, you're going to have to find another bassist for the, for that tour. I'm, uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting the replacements back together. And Axel says, that's cool. He goes, but I don't know who I would get. And Tommy says, 
call Duff. <laughs> I, I, he's like, I guarantee he'll do it. He's like, he's a friend of mine. We still talk. He talks about how excited he was about doing that. And so Axel calls Duff. Duff does this whole South American tour with uh, Guns N' Roses. And that was kind of the, the putting in the wheels in motion of the Guns N' Roses reunion. So you can almost thank Tommy Stinson for getting GNR back together. Because all he wanted to do was play with the replacements again. <laughs> that's, that's and awesome, man. That's really cool. I went to, so I got to see him twice. I saw them at uh, the Forest Hill Stadium in Queens, in Queens New York. Um, it was one of the most amazing shows I've ever been to the hold steady opened it was great it was so nice to see this band that did not get the credit they deserved play in front of twenty thousand people sold out you know sold out venue you know sitting there playing in front of twenty thousand people everybody knows all the songs and it was just this wonderful wonderful show and i thought that would be it now that was I, i saw the replacements and then six months later, they announced that they're going to play a, uh, they're playing shows. They're playing, they're winning another leg of the tour. And the last North American show is going to be at Festival Pier in Philly. Nice. And I went to that show with just such a wide, uh, diverse of people. I went with a, a girl that I dated at Stockton. I went, my little brother came, a couple of my friends from, uh, couple of my friends from uh lbi and uh my friend jesse who played bassist in weston we's like we had this like really random crew that i assembled and we went to see the replacements and it was just one of these awesome awesome incredible shows and uh i'm just so thankful to be able to say i saw the replacements and i will re- recommend that book for anybody especially you, Matt, as a Tom Petty fan, you need to read this book just to hear the horror stories of their tour opening for uh, Tom Petty. <laughs> I'll have to check it out, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So the next band that I think we should probably discuss going on from the replacements would be, uh, well, let's say, let's say Dinosaur Jr. for now. Why don't, why don't, why don't uh, we talk about Husker Du? I was going to say Husker Du because Husker Du is a natural uh, transition. Because Husker Du and The Replacements were both from Minneapolis. And they were both very much um, healthy rivals. They were always trying to uh, compete for that top spot in the uh, the Minneapolis uh, punk rock scene. But they were very healthy about it. They, they they, They were friends. They played shows together. So there was no... That used to be a thing where bands actually just were trying to outdo each other. But... Didn't have an animosity towards each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of had that with when I had a band back in my high school and college days. There was one band, shout out to you guys, in Stick Figure Suicide, if you're anybody that, from that band is still listening. But we played a bunch of shows with them, and we always like fed off of each other's energy. And There's even a song on the Replacements' first record called Something to Do, and it's D-U with a... And it's kind nice. of like... It's, 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 it's like a nod, it's like a tribute, and kind of like a poke fun at Husker Du. It's, it's kind of cool, you know? Where the hell did they get that? Is that name German? And like, where the hell did they get that name from? Well, if you would have read my uh, my, my blog that I did for the uh, <laughs> for, for Nerdthusiast, you would know it comes from the Danish board game called, Do You, it translates to, Do You Remember? Oh, interesting. But Bob it always German? thought, it's Danish. Danish, okay. It's Danish. Uh Bob Mole just thought it looked really cool on the box. Husker do. 
and it's a cool do you remember it's kind of neat you know kind of yeah. neat but i mean they uh so husker do were basically mainstays in the minneapolis hardcore scene uh their early records were on SST as we've, we've talked about SST before, as far as on the descendants thing. So they came from that crazy, crazy uh, we're opening for black flag all the time touring regiment where they just were everywhere all the time, 365 days a year while putting out like two to three records a year. Yeah. that's. I have no idea how this band did it. Uh, The crazy thing about Husker do was how quickly their evolution started right away. Their their first uh, uh, re- uh, release of note would be Metal Circus, which was very much a uh, very much a '80s hardcore record. But you could hear something there. You could hear that there was this amazing songwriting partnership between uh, their guitarist Bob Mould and their drummer Grant Hart, who both did lead vocals on the songs that they wrote. So it's always fun when you have a lead singer slash drummer. It's always neat. Yeah, those are rare oddities. Every every time yeah. you see one, it's just like, whoa, what, what, a drummer? Singing. Yeah, yeah, and, and and you know what? And and it's like the, it's like the, the three that come to my mind, and I'm sure if I thought about it longer, would be there. I'm, I could find a bunch more, but the three that come to my head are Phil Collins, Don Henley, and Grant Hart. So as Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> But, but, um, there was a, now if we were talking about competitive nature, there was an extremely competitive nature between Bob and Grant. Interesting. Who was going to have more songs on the record? Who's, I mean, I heard for producing things, you know, that's, that's I heard there was. I heard there were stories about one of the other lowering the volume on the others mixing like, Oh, like it's crazy how, how, yeah, it's really, really, really messed up. Having that competitive nature is inherently a good thing, but you, you should not be like trying to undermine the other person. Like you should be, you should both be growing from that competition, not like trying to sabotage the other. Well, I, I remember having this conversation uh, with a friend of mine. We were trying to figure. We were trying. We were discussing over who were the Lennon and McCartney of punk rock, and we're going over all these people. I'm like, oh, Brett Gerwitz and Greg Graffin from Bad Religion. I'm going over all these bands, and I'm like, oh, duh. What am I talking about? It's it's Bob Mould and Grant Hart. End of story. Like, stamp done. End of story. And going back to that, you know, stupid notion that there can be, uh, you know, the world's greatest band. I always say there's about 10 bands that I could go into a court of law and make the argument, a compelling argument for world's gr- the greatest band who ever lived. Uh, there's the kinks. I mean, I could do it for the Beatles. I could, I could, uh, but I don't think there is one, but I could do it for the kinks. I could do it for, I could do it for Husker do. I could absolutely do it for Husker do. They had a long enough discography, even though it was a short period of time, an incredible live act. Their, their shows were famous for being amazing. And they were just so influential. Their influence is insane. I mean, you listen to these riffs and it's like, oh, I, I've heard 20 songs that sound like this. And they all came out 20 years later. Now, all, the, all these bands that we're, we're talking about and discussing, all this happened before Nevermind. Um, what... Which bands were the oldest ones and which band? Like, can you just tell me that? Because I don't know the answer to that question. Like, like as far as they came out, like, 
out of this list, I would say, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess it would be, I mean, they're all kind of right around the same time as far as starting. I mean, the replacements first record comes out in 81. So does the, so does Husker do's Sonic youth, I guess would have been 83 was when their first record came out. Dinosaur jr. Would have been early eighties pixies. I guess it would have been 89. So I guess the Pixies were the latest. The Pixies like the Pixies were definitely 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 the latest. The Dew were de- honestly if we we're talking about bands that straight up influenced Nirvana, it would almost have to be a blender of Husker Dew, Husker Dew and Dinosaur Jr. I would think would be the most prominent. I can see that. Dinosaur Jr had that like the, the, the weird change-ups, I would say, in their music, which I, I enjoy quite a bit. Uh, Husker Du is definitely, like, one of the harder bands out of the list that we have here. But, um, like, Nirvana, when you're super hard, but with melodies. Right. Like, their right. melodies are so... I mean, they have hooks in all of their songs. Uh, and the thing... It was, it was weird, including doing the four songs that I put on for Husker Du, because... Again, it wasn't supposed to be best, like the best songs. I included It's Not Funny anymore because that was early Husker Du. That's straight up punk rock Husker Du. Straight up hardcore punk rock. Lifetime even covers that song on the Hello Bastards record. And I wanted to make sure I did two Bob songs and two Grant songs. So I do feel like I kind of cheated uh, Grant by taking away one of his songs with such an early song because a lot of his later output is just so great. Again, those two were just so competitive. You listen to the early stuff, you listen to the later stuff, and while it sounds completely different, you can tell it's the same exact band. Yeah, I think that was one of my favorite songs from them was uh, It's Not Funny Anymore. That was definitely up there for sure. That was one of my favorite songs off of out of all those tracks. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 it's a great song, and it's... I always get mad when I see Lifetime and they won't play it live because they don't do covers live. <laughs> Kid Dynamite will do six covers, Lifetime zero. <laughs> it's just one of those things. But um, so they, the, the interesting thing about Husker Du was they were actually probably the first punk rock record, first punk band to put out a uh, concept album when they put out the Zen Arcade record. Hmm. Yeah, so that was a very interesting thing. It was like punk rock band putting out a concept album. That's <laughs> mind blowing. Uh, that's where that song "Chartered Trips" comes from that I put on there. And then they would put out after that my my favorite of Husker Du's records, which is um, a, which is "New Day Rising," uh, which included uh, "Celebrate Summer" that I put on there. And then they, they they were one of, like I said, they were one of those SST bands. They were getting really hounded by the uh, major labels. Major labels wanted Husker Du. Husker Du was killing it on those college circuits. Uh, they were kind of the big live act. Their records were getting, I mean, Rolling Stone would put out their best of the year reviews. And Husker Du always had a top five record in there. And it would be like, oh, we're reviewing prince we're reviewing you know i don't know i'm trying to uh madonna and then husker do (laughs) 
So did they never sign to a, a big label? Is that why they never well, they, like... they, they they were the first. They were the first of these indie bands that signed to a major label. They signed okay. to Warner Brothers record. They put out. I, I want to see. I'll make sure I get this right because somebody will hit us up on Twitter. But I believe it was New Day Rising, Flip Your Wig, and Warehouse, or it could be Warehouse and whatever. It was those last three. They were the those were the last three records they did for. Uh, no, I might have it wrong. I think they're the last three to do for uh, SST. Their major label debut was for Warner Brothers Records. What they signed to Warner, it's like kind of a, a big deal because, I mean, REM hadn't even signed uh, to Geffen yet. They were the first indie band to sign to a major label. And they signed to Warner Brothers, and everybody thinks this is they're going to be the next big thing. They put out an album called Candy Apple Gray which I put it up there with any record they ever put out. Hardcore do fans will be the, that's when they totally sold out. Mur, mur, mur. They have songs with acoustic guitars on there. Worst album ever. And I grew up thinking that. I and mean, then in my twenties, I'm just like, this record is incredible. I'm of two minds with bands changing and stuff like that, because I have, I have issues. Like sometimes bands change for the better. Like, uh, like, like my favorite band, at least the, my favorite band for the past, I would say probably 10 years is Thrice. And they went from being, you know, like, like a, I guess you would label it as like a post hardcore band into like an experimental band and their experiment, experimental music is my favorite music that they make. And they, you know, they went away for a few years. They came back recently and they started out with stuff that sounded more like, um, not really post hardcore, but it didn't really sound experimental. And now I think they're finally back to that sound, but you know, that that's a band that like transitioned very well, in my opinion, where other bands have just like fallen completely flat. Like when they try to do other things and, you know, not that they shouldn't be able to do other things, but like you should be able to recognize when something's not working and change it, you know? Well, I, I always say that selling out isn't a matter of taking uh, money and go into a major label it's when you compromise your integrity because you're going to a label and then you're only going to do what the ba- label tells you i can tell you now i can listen to that candy apple gray record and say that would have been the next record they put out on sst probably just with a better producer <laughs> i mean i mean in reality there was it's it's a great record it, it's and and honestly has some of their uh more punky sounding stuff that's where that uh um I don't want to know if you were lonely comes from, which is one of their more known songs. And that was on candy apple gray. Um, their breakup was pretty ugly. Uh, their, their manager that they had pretty much their entire time, who was kind of the guy that kept the glue together and kept uh, grant and uh, who kept uh, grant and Bob from killing each other. He unfortunately committed suicide. And that was basically that was basically the end of the band. You couldn't have these guys in a room together. They just were at each other's throats all the time. I also, it's it's sad to say, another reason why Husker Du probably didn't uh, blow up was that Bob and Bob and Grant were two gay men in a three piece band. And let's let's be real, in the nineteen eighties, we we were we were pretty close minded society. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, I and mean, it's it's really sad to say, like 
I mean, today that wouldn't be an issue. Times back then, there was very big stigmas towards you know people were like afraid. I remember people being afraid to use toilets and shit because they thought they were going to get AIDS. Like they would not use public toilets because they thought it's 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 ridiculous. It's gross. Uh, You know, I mean, you know, it was like Prince was like a hero because he was like you know kind of like you know you know flamboyant, but 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 he but he wasn't gay, so he was cool. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) it's just this. And you you gotta have Wes on here. We're talking about Prince, man. Wes loves Prince. (laughs) Oh, I love Prince too. I love Prince. Oh, and Prince. Oh, there's fame. Both both Husker Du and Replacements have stories about playing. First Avenue in Minneapolis, where Prince would walk in to check out a few of their songs, hang out for about ten minutes, and this is when he's huge megastar, and then like leave because he's got to go somewhere else, <laughs> and then you would just see like a third of the audience leave, leave. to follow Prince. <laughs> that's, that's nuts. Yeah, off topic, but it's but yeah, you, you can't mention those uh, bands. You can't mention Minneapolis without mentioning Prince, and both of those bands recorded at Prince's Paisley Park. Both of them knew Prince. Um, Bob and Bob of Bob of uh, Husker Du and Paul of the Replacements both both wrote very touching eulogies after uh, Prince died that you should check out and read. But their breakup was ugly. Uh, uh, Craig Norton, their bass player, who we have not mentioned once because Craig just played bass and Husker Du. That's his claim to fame. Like that's a pretty awesome claim to fame. But he never wrote a single song. He didn't sing a song. He just played bass and Husker Du. The other two were the geniuses, you know. So, so, uh, Bob and, uh, Grant both go on to do solo careers, some more successful than others. In the nineties, Bob has an act called sugar, which everybody should check out sugar. Their album copper blue. One of my 10 favorite records, honestly, one of my 10 favorite records, just perfect nineties, alternative pop. I love the gin blossoms. But then how you kind of go, oh, I love the gin blossoms. It's almost like you kind of you're like talking about a guilty pleasure kind of Fuck a deal. It. I love the gin blossoms too. I love the gin blossoms too. Fuck them. I love the gin blossoms too. <laughs> but but imagine if there was nothing even remotely to be ashamed about with liking the gin blossoms. That is sugar. It's just perfect. Like 100% perfect. It's edgy, but yet it's catchy and poppy. If I don't change your mind by uh by sugar is one of those songs. I'm making a playlist of perfect songs. And when I say perfect songs, I don't just mean great songs, really good songs. I mean songs that are so otherworldly that you cannot, that every time you hear them, you're shocked that they even exist. Like an example would be Life on Mars by David Bowie. Like you're just like, what? How does this song, how's this real? Um, If I Can't Change Your Mind by Sugar would be on that list. Which... Bob played when I saw him recently, which I'll talk about, which was great. Grant, unfortunately, his solo career was good and all. Never hit the heights that Bob's hit. And unfortunately, we lost Grant a few years ago, and we never got that Husker Du reunion that a lot of us uh, pined for for many years. Mm. Never happened. Whereas Bob's solo career is now like even has new, like his last four records get constant write-ups in all the magazines. Like he's riding this huge wave right now. Got to see him actually uh, back in September. It was one of the, it was one of those awesome memorable shows that I went to because he basically does Husker Du songs. He does Sugar songs and he does Bob Mould solo songs and everybody's just happy throughout the entire show. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a shame I never got to see some of those bands. It's always, it's always disappointment, you know, disappointing when you, when you notice that, 
uh, your opportunity to see someone has passed and you're probably never going to get that opportunity again. That's always a sad feeling, especially when you've made choices and like, you know, you could have seen one and you didn't. And that was the last time they ever played. (laughs) Well, Bob, Bob was considered to be from what I know is like kind of like the bully of the band of Husker do when they were around, which is like shocking to me because Everything post Husker do, it seems like he couldn't have been the he couldn't there couldn't be like a nicer human on earth. I think he got sober and just one of these guys who became like super nice and happy and just put out all these great catchy pop records and hardcore records. He's still putting out some hardcore stuff. His band that he has currently, incredible. But he also does these shows where he just plays an electric guitar, uh, distort it with uh, no other instruments. And, and, and I, I'd like to check that out. I saw him with the full band. It was great. Another interesting thing he did after Husker Du died, or Husker Du broke up, he um, he was a writer on WCW's creative team for a couple of years. <laughs> that's, that's so He's crazy. a huge wrestling fan, and he kind of, like, used his, like, indie rock fame to, like, weasel his way into, like, writing on the WCW team. Dude, I was probably watching his shit then because I like yeah. I watched wrestling during, you know, when when Nitro was huge and NWO was a thing. That's like when I was watching wrestling. Oh, yeah, real real quick side note. I did hear it on, it was a, it was another it was on another podcast, on a wrestling podcast. A guy who was a former a punk rock guy who did punk rock, uh, you know, fanzines. He wrote a wrestling fanzine too. And he said one time he is on an airplane going to a taping of WCW nitro and this is when they had like jerry only and doyle from the misfits showing up uh, on nitro tapings weird man it was so weird but he says says he's on the airplane and there's bob mold on the airplane and jerry only and doyle on the airplane and he's like okay i'm on an airplane right now with members of the misfits and husker do and we're going to a wrestling taping in 1998 this is the weirdest <laughs> moment of my life yeah that's got to be a strange thing man like you know where everybody's going you know what's happening but you're like well this is weird <laughs> totally the, the weirdest we'll transition into another band that was uh doing things for sst records uh which was the band that you were indifferent on so i guess we won't spend too much time and that is well, uh well, i mean we could talk about them as, as much or as little as you want i don't really care I- I listened to all the Sonic Youth songs and very mixed feelings. Like cool thing, it's fine, you know, it's fine. But the uh, when I, I tell really you the sto- like, when I tell you the story behind cool thing, you'll you'll you'll, you'll probably appreciate it more. I probably will. Like schizophrenia was okay. I, I was like, this is song's all right, but touch me, I'm sick is the one song I really really liked uh, on the playlist from Sonic Youth. What's funny that you mentioned that Touch Me, I'm Sick was the song that you really, really liked from uh, Sonic Youth. Is it the one like you hate the most? <laughs> oh, no, no. This is, this is a little Easter egg that I included in the uh, playlist. It's not a Sonic Youth song. Mm. It's, a mud honey, like it. it's a Mud Honey song. It's a cover of a Mud Honey song. And I did Mud Honey, if I, if I was doing this, if I was doing that playlist on six bands, Mud Honey would have been the sixth band because they were definitely an influence on Nirvana. They were definitely a mainstay in that uh, that '80s uh, that '80s indie rock scene. They just never hit the heights that the other five bands that I mentioned were. So Mud Honey's and they're still playing and they're still awesome. Me and Greg went to see them. I guess that would have been 2015. We went to see them, and I'm not even kidding. The only show I've ever in my life 
resorted to having to put earplugs in. Was that loud? Because it was just so loud, and it was awesome. I mean, it as was I got awesome. older, I'm not, I'm not against putting earplugs into my ears. When I was younger, it was like I was, you know, too cool. I could. There's no way. Even when I played in a band, like I, I permanently had some, some, some hearing damage from that, which is, you know, being, being in my late teens or early 20s just a freaking idiot so oh my left ear is completely fucked yeah because because for sitting next to a sitting next to a amp and playing a guitar at shows for years going to shows i don't think was the big problem i think it was the band thing practice every day that's the being in the band is the worst for sure but if you're close to those speakers for a long enough time you're gonna have some permanent damage like if you're getting close if you're in like the back you're 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 fine you probably don't need earplugs but if you're going like right next to the stage, you probably should get yourself some damn earplugs. But Mud Honey, cool band. That's and that song, that Sonic Youth song. That, that and it's you know what? Cover man, that's a good cover. I I love that. That is a lost art. That that was a thing that was prominent through the '60s, '70s, and '80s when contemporaries would cover each other's songs. It's like, hey, shout out to my homies. We're gonna we're gonna play. We're gonna. That doesn't happen anymore. That's not a thing anybody does. Uh, It used to be a thing. I mean, maybe in the the early 2000s, you still had the bands that would do a split seven inch, you know, and there would be two bands and we're going to, well, I guess that's what actually happened here. I think, I think uh, on that split, Mudhoney did a Sonic Youth song. Uh, Sonic Youth did a Mudhoney song and then they had each had an original song. I think that's how it went. Do you think the problem today is the way like legal rights with music are effing out of control i don't know why i said effing i've been cursing this whole time anyway but do, do you think that's like the main problem like it's such a pain in the ass to get all the legal right like ducks in a row to be able to like officially cover a song and put it out no i don't think so because publishing rights when it comes to covers is a little tricky all you're doing is uh just basically giving some royalties to the original people mm-hmm. so if you're it's really not that hard for a label to do it it's a little different when you're licensing, it, say for a for a TV show or something. Okay. They never want to spend money on it. They never want to spend money on it. Well, I, I know uh, I cover video games a lot, so like that's like a notorious thing. It's like when they go to re-release, like they just re-released Tony Hawk maybe like a year or so ago. It was like Tony Hawk One and Two remastered. They got like ninety eight percent of the songs from that, but there were a few that they just couldn't get, and like I applauded them. Like that must have been like a huge undertaking to go back and get almost every single band back on there that originally you know played music. Well, the, the different the difference is, I imagine if Sonic Youth and whoever they're doing a, I'm just using as an example, uh, Mud Honey, I, I uh, are are on two different labels, but they're doing a split together. I don't think Mud Honey is going to get very upset about Sonic Youth. Co- they're not going to say, "Hey, Sonic Youth, we want royalties from right. the cover of our song you're doing." Like, like you're getting money from it too, asshole. What do you give a fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly, exactly. So there isn't, there isn't. Uh, it's like, well, if it becomes a big hit, you're going to get money for it anyway. So in those terms, nobody cares. It's not like you know Beverly Hills 90210 cheapening out on uh, getting Toad the Wet Sprocket to use for their uh, Hulu episodes. Wait, 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 what? Oh, so the Hulu episodes had the song removed? Is that what? Is that what? They oh, were? they don't have any of the original music. They have like these really cheesy stock oh. public domain song that isn't even decade appropriate. Jesus it takes Christ. you completely out of the mood, man. It's the worst. Why would they do that? It's Why? Because it's terrible. And and here's the thing: I got the trial of Paramount Plus because they had nine hundred two one zero on Paramount Plus. I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, they had to have forked up the money for the licensing. Nope. Still the cheesy stock music. And I was like, you know what? I'm done with you. If you can't spend the money to get me to have uh, 
REM on 90210, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah, you got look, man. These guys either either do one of two things. When you're making the show, if you're paying for the licensed music, you need to have some sort of thing that's like in perpetuity. You make it really easy to go back, and if you ever re-release something, to get that those rights to the music again, or you just don't use you know copywritten music and you create your own music for the show, or you get you know you know copyright free shit and use that. I say you just fork it up because honestly, I guarantee you, you can negotiate a pretty low royalty situation there. I mean, all these bands are on Spotify anyway. They're not true. They're they're not. <laughs> they they really don't care about uh, royalties these days. And and music makes such a big difference when you're watching a piece of media, whether it's TV or like, especially in movies. Like, can you imagine for two seconds taking the soundtrack out of Star Wars? Can you imagine putting any other kind of music in there? There's no, there's no way. No way. No way. But at least that was made for the movie, so they don't have to worry about the licensing rights on that one. Well, right, for sure. But let's, <laughs> let's say they got in a fight with, uh, with John, what the hell's his name? John, uh, John Williams. John yeah, Williams. Let's say they got in a fight with him and we're like, listen, we're not, you're, you know, you can't use our music anymore. Like, motherfucker, you better pay him whatever he wants to get that music back <laughs> into your movie, you know? Okay, well, going back to the topic at hand. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Our, 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 hey, our tangents are awesome. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love our tangents. We should have a podcast that is just tangents. We could. Um, we could. So Sonic Youth basically is the uh, is the brainchild of Thurston Moore and Kim Gordon, who were a couple. Oh, I and that. yeah, they they were a couple. And the thing I always found about interesting about Sonic Youth. They're the only band out of like, off the top of my head, I'm sure there's others, but they're the one that I can think of prominently that is just a New York band. They're a band from New York City, which used to be the thing all the time, 60s, 70s, and then the 80s kind of hit. And it's like, as far as like the indie, I mean, your punk and hardcore bands tended to be either from New York, Boston, DC, LA, or San Francisco. And then you had a few in the Midwest, you know, like that was, but I mean, New York was always like, when I think about all these indie rock bands from the, from the eighties, it's the only one that comes out right to my head that, that is like a New York band is Sonic Youth. And it, yeah, that's really and it kind of makes, cause I can't think of, I can't, even when I think of the bands that I like, like during that period of time, I don't, I can't think of any that were from New York city. And it makes sense because, like, even though whether, and I'm not saying you're less sophisticated for this, Matt, but Sonic Youth is kind of the most sophisticated of the bands that we're talking about. <laughs> like, no, I mean, as far as like kind of doing like an avant-garde kind of that. That's that's what I mean. I, I'm not. I, I mean, like, there's a I'm pretentious a man. I, I there's a, what I mean is I, I'm almost saying it in a kind of almost a kind of a bad way too. There's almost this pretentious air to them. There, well, you know, I, there's. I get it. Like I, I get that they sound. They, they do have. I think they have the most unique sound. Well, yeah, I would say they do because I, I, I really like Dinosaur Junior. But I think I've heard other things that sound similar to Dinosaur Junior. I think I don't like Sonic Youth because there's nothing else like Sonic Youth, like that I can even like compare to. You know what I mean? Yeah. I well, I mean, what I what I liked about them is they were their punk rock background. Like a like a heart on their sleeve, and never. Whereas a lot of these bands were trying to move on from punk rock, Sonic Youth was too, but like musically. But they would constantly give reverence to punk rock. Like at the end of the day, like uh, 
Kim Gordon would just be like, I'm still just a hardcore chick. That's who I am. I'm a punk rock hardcore chick, which um, I mean, when they when they started out, they were also I feel like they're like most of the bands that we're talking about today were a band that started out on SST records. And famously, they were the first to really publicly feud with SST and kind of leave them right away. They put out they put out, I think, two records on SST and we're just like, Greg, you don't pay us. We tour all the time with your ridiculous nonsense and we make these records and I have to think they're selling something. It, and we sorry, are, when you say Greg, are you talking about like the, the guy who owns SST? SST, Greg, S- okay. uh, Greg Ginn, uh, Black Flag creator, owner okay. of SST, um, who has this very insanely thick catalog that includes Husker Du, Sonic Youth, uh, Soundgarden, Dinosaur Jr., Black Flag, The Descendants, bad brains i could go on all day and none of these bands see any royalty checks ever and it's like where is the money going or they just or does it's insane sonic youth was the first to really like bring this public and kind of go after and just be like greg is an asshole we hate greg yeah why would you come from your own band and like not help out other bands like what like did you not struggle? Like, wh- why would you do that to other bands? That's fucking crazy, man. Oh, there's, there's, there was, uh, I, I had like three friends make a joke after I got my black flag tattoo that, uh, that Greg Ginn just put a cease and desist order on my tattoo. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> that's his thing. Like, most recently, he, he brings back Black Flag, which is just him on guitar, a new bass player, a new drummer. And he actually got second singer Ron Reyes as vocalist for a hot minute. Good for him. It was like, okay, all right, all right. This is at least trying to, you know, duplicate Black Flag. On the other flip side, you have Bill Stevenson, who played drums in Black Flag. Chuck Dukowski, who was the original bass player in Black Flag. Keith Morris, who was the original singer of Black Flag. And they replaced Greg Ginn with Stephen Egerton from The Descendants. And they were touring as Flag, doing all Black Flag songs. And then Greg Ginn tries to stop that. He's like, Cease and desist on that, and he, which he lost because the judge was like, nobody's confusing either one of your acts. They people know what they're going to see, and they can choose which one we're going to see. Right. But that's just that's just who Greg Ginn is. He's very greedy, very litigious. For a guy who basically was most pioneering guitarist in the history of hardcore punk, he's really has a thing for going to going to court and has a way for hawking money from people like he did to people like Sonic Youth. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it reminds me of uh, Lars from Metallica when he was going against oh. Napster. And like, was that the late nineties, early two thousands? When the hell was that? Yeah, early two thousands, early two thousands. Like yeah, it was like, two, yeah, it was like, I think it was 2000 to be exact. I think it was, Oh no, 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 no. The, the, oh, oh, he would definitely, Lars would definitely play uh, drums in the, uh, the Greg Ginn super group. <laughs> Axel Rose pre pre uh, reunion would be the lead singer. <laughs> <laughs> now 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 Axel's cool and everybody loves Axel. He's like a good guy now. He's like yeah. In the wrestling world, we would say he turned babyface. Yeah, yeah. He used man. to work heel. Now he's a babyface. But um, so they were kind of the first to uh, really just they they cut they cut uh, they cut uh, um, ties with SST. They sign with Enigma Records and they put out what I think is one of the great albums of all time in Daydream Nation. And the song that I included on there from the uh, uh, from the on the on the playlist would be Teenage Riot. Which yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
which is one of those songs that I was talking about as far as perfect songs. This would be, this is on that playlist for me that I, my mind is just blown that this song exists. Maybe the intro is a little long, but I don't care because I just know what's coming next. And it's just one of the most delightful songs I've ever listened to. And I cannot listen to that song without smiling from start to finish. Yeah, that's probably the other Sonic Youth song I would say that's pretty damn good that's on here. You know, I mean, I, I think they're all okay. This is my problem with them. I don't think any of them like... You know, other than "Touch Me, I'm Sick," which isn't their song, anyways. I think they're all, they're all fine songs. They're 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 good, but they're not. And I'm not like, going to judge you for that. I'm not going to judge you for that. I'm I'm joking with you when I'm like, <laughs> you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. But the thing is, music is a subjective art form, yeah, and the sure. ear and the brain and ears and brains work differently for some people. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to different bands, they can sound differently at different times. Like like I was mentioning thrice earlier, if you listen to their their hardcore stuff. And then you listen to something they created like like later on in their career, or like halfway through their career, you'd be like, This isn't even the same band. Like what the what is this? You know, and like and you might, you know, might, you know, like one of them or both of them or, or none of it at all, you know? It just depends. It depends. It's it's subjective. And so, you know, Daydream Nation really is it, it, and to me it's kind of fun. People knew who they were when they were on SST. They were a big deal on the indie punk rock circuit. But it wasn't Daydream Nation was the record after they leave on Enigma Records that catches everybody's attention. And they get signed to Geffen Records when they put out the the Goo record, which was a uh, which was a was, was a landmark record. Whereas Sonic Youth or not Sonic Youth, whereas Husker Du were the first band to uh, sign to the major label. Sonic Youth kind of took it to that next step. More more ears were on it, more people noticed it. They were kind of a bigger deal as i should say uh in a mainstream sense not necessarily from a from an influence uh standpoint i don't think you can get any more influential than husker do um but as far as like people noticing things and that's where and the album to, the album cover is so iconic it has been parodied a million times. I was joking, as you saw, the T-shirt I'm wearing is a parody of that album cover. It's been parodied a million times, the Goo cover. And it's where also the song that you didn't like very much, Cool Thing, comes from. I mean, out of all the Sonic Youth songs on there, I really don't like Cool Thing that much. It was on Rock well, Band or Guitar Hero. One, at one point, I think that was the first time I really heard it. I'm like, this song's not very good. Now, I will tell you the story behind the uh, Hein Cool Thing. It's actually a poke fun at, as well as an apology to LL Cool J. What? So <laughs> Kim Gordon happen? was Kim Gordon after the um, after the huge blow up of uh, Daydream Nation on the indie circuit. She's working as a uh, columnist for Spin Magazine. Okay, and she does an interview with LL Cool J. Now Kim Gordon is ultra political, ultra ultra liberal, and she's trying to get LL Cool J to get political, and he's just not having it. He's just kind of <laughs> indifferent, and he's I, just kind of like, "What are you?" Smart, smartest for him, you and, know? He, and he's kind of like, "What are you doing?" Like, "What are you?" And he and he kind of and he and he and he did and he did drop some and he did drop some bullshit in the uh, in the article too. He like you know kind of like some sexist misogynist bullshit too 
like he did drop that shit in the uh I'm sorry if I'm cursing too much. I think I'm earning my curses. Though. I mean I cursed a bunch this episode too. Um, I mean we try we try not to curse as much as possible, but we're gonna have to let that slide. They have to they have to they have to mean something. And he but he and he did. He kinda got kinda kinda went in a sexist misogynist way on her, like, hey, what are you what are you doing asking me these kind of questions? Shouldn't you be doing like that kind of thing? Uh, and Kim Gordon says later, she's like, It hit me. I'm punk rock, ultra left wing, liberal socialist girl trying to be black panther and that's what i was doing in that interview and it wasn't fair to him but he also said some shitty things and i wanted to make fun of it but at the same time i i i kind of went about it the wrong way now if you hear in that song there's somebody there's a uh there's an african-american gentleman reciting uh clips from the interview Mm -hmm. and that man who's doing it that man who is doing it who's reenacting ll cool j is no le- no other than Chuck D from Public Enemy, <laughs> who was a very big, who is a very big fan of Sonic Youth, and I was like, yeah, I'll do that for you guys. It'll be That's fun. Cool. It'll be it'll be fun to poke a little fun at my good friend LL Cool J. <laughs> that's awesome. So man. that's so that's the story behind that song. Makes me like the song a little bit more and having some. Yeah, content. yeah. Like I said, it's got a it's kind of got a cool uh, kind of got a cool story behind it, and I mean they put out. They're one of the bands on this list too that never stopped. They never, they didn't break up. They kind of went through, straight through until 2009 when they did break up. They were also a band that benefited from Nirvana's success. After Nirvana blew up, Sonic Youth had the residual effect of that. They put out. Um, That's what I was going to say. Exper- During this period of time, Sonic Youth was like pretty. This is probably like when they're the biggest, right? It's like around the time of Nirvana. Well, yeah, after Nirvana, they put out Experimental Jet Set No Star, which what I have to think I can't, I can't um, say it for sure because I don't have it right in front of me. I don't have the, I don't have Sonic Youth's album sales in front of me, but I have to think that was their most commercially successful. I know it was their biggest radio hit in Bowl in the Heather. That's the one everybody knows. That was like their big big jam. I didn't include it in the playlist because this playlist was explicitly pre Nirvana. And that song came out after Nirvana. So I did not want to include it. But the sad thing was, I mean, they were putting out great records until 2009. Kim caught uh, thirst and cheating on her. And that was the end of their relationship. And that was the end of Sonic Youth. It was the end of their marriage. And that's how the band broke up. Yeah, that's that's a shitty way to go. 2009. And shout out to my boy, uh, Eric Overlin, who's a friend I met down here. Kim Gordon is like his all-time celebrity crush. Every time, anytime we get drunk at the bar, he's got to show me his picture of him and Kim. I'm pretty sure if he ever met Thurston Moore, he would punch him in the face and then pick him up and tell and then tell him how much of a creative genius he is. That would be their that would be their conversation because you know what? I don't I don't let personal stuff uh, ruin the art for me. I don't know what happened in their marriage. I can't judge Thurston Moore for whatever his infidelities were. I don't know what was going on in their marriage. Who knows? It just sucks because it seemed like they were this cool indie rock uh, indie rock couple that everybody loved, and it was breakup of one of the great bands, and that's why I'm sad more than anything. Onto another band that got their start on SST Records. It's a common theme here. I think everyone we've talked to for the about. Everyone we've talked about, for the exception of the replacements who were on Twin Tone when they started, were on SST. That's crazy. It's crazy, man. And none of these bands see anything from their. The band we're talking about here is Dinosaur Jr. 
formed as a three-piece from uh, Amherst. No, or, no, actually, it's Amherst, isn't it? I think I think that's one of those cities where they don't pronounce the H. I think it's a silent I think H. So. It's in Massachusetts either way. Yes, Amherst, Massachusetts by hardcore punk rock straight edge kid uh, Jay Maskus with um, Lou Barlow and Murph rounding out the three-piece. You can definitely hear the punk rock influence in this band, but you can also hear the love of 70s guitar rock there as well, as well as an appreciation of heavy metal. This is like they 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 do have you, they do have a punk rock sound for sure, but I would say like this band really sounds alternative. Like they really sound like an alternative band would sound. You know what I mean? Well, Matt, you got to remember, <laughs> alternative is not a word yet. I, That's what the point of this whole thing is. That's the whole point of this exercise they, is. They, alternative me, is like not a lexicon. I know what yeah, you mean. I yeah. completely know what you mean. <laughs> and I did not mean to sound facetious. I was intentionally sounding pretentious. But that's the whole point of this exercise is that Nirvana did not just show up one day. It was not like... Never mind happened and the world changed. The but mainstream I mean, world it, it, changed. Ma- yeah, the mainstream world certainly changed from Nirvana. I mean, they they were bigger than life itself during that period of time. They completely changed music. They got they yeah, got I, the eighties stench off of everything and brought us into the nineties. I think my point was is that there had been da- bands doing. A lot of what they were doing Absolutely. for many, many, many years and for whatever reason didn't hit. Correct. 100%. That's and so so when we say alternative, you're absolutely right. I mean I mean Dinosaur Jr., like uh like Sonic Youth are one of these bands, and like the Pixies who we're gonna talk about next, are one of these bands who are always identified in that alternative. Uh, I no say, shit. I gotta say one thing though. Have you listened to um, any new alternative radio stations, like a real radio station? Like, all, like I'm talking about you fucking change the channel in your car radio station. Have you listened to any of those recently? No, I, I where I keep up with the newer indie indie alternative rock stuff is basically through uh, Facebook groups, um, magazines. And most importantly, my brother, who is 11 years younger, so he still kind of has his finger on the pulse. I have listened to, we have we have a local alternative radio station out here, and it's like a roll of dice. One out of every th- three songs is going to be something I want to hear that to me is an alternative, alternative music. It sounds like something, you know, from that, you know, 90s era. Then they're playing stuff from today that they consider alternative music. I'm like, this is not alternative music. Like, this is... To me, it's not alternative. You need to call this something else, but they're like lumping it in together. And but like, but like, I remember when I had basically stopped finding new records for a long time. Like, I went through a really dry spell in my mid twenties, and I remember my brother just like being like, like for him being like, "You need to listen to the indie rock scene these days." Every band either wants to be the Beach Boys or the Kinks. It is your like heaven. <laughs> like you need to be there. And I, all right, cool. And I wanted to, and that's how I kind of like went back to that. And then, and then nowadays, a lot of it's a lot of trying to be uh, like seventies garage rock, which I think is awesome. But uh, Dinosaur Junior is kind of one of those bands that definitely were taking a lot of different 
eras in their influence, you can totally hear the uh, the hardcore punk love. You can totally hear the pop love. You can hear you can hear sixties pop influence in in uh, Dinosaur Junior, and you can hear straight up heavy metal uh, riffs there. And you can also hear like trippy hippie stuff, which is really funny because everybody thinks that Jay Maskus is like this like ultimate stoner guy. Jay doesn't do anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's just this introverted genius <laughs> i mean to, to compliment what you're saying if you listen to the song the wagon that you have on there it, that's totally out there I'm like why did you write a song about this this is so weird and it's awesome but it's strange you know it's also could have been like the number one hit of 1991 <laughs> that's true it's that's so catchy true. and so and so it's amazing a great song. it's a great song and um but, but the, th- the thing that's interesting about that, and I'll get to it a little bit later, is that was the record they put out just before Nevermind hit. I think that came out that, that song came out about six months before Nevermind. That was my cutoff. That was actually after the three-piece, the original Dinosaur Jr., as we knew them, had dissolved. The original Dinosaur Jr. was, like I said, it was Jay Maskus, Lou Barlow, and Murph. They have this incredible run from like 84 to 91. They have uh, their first three records are just incredible. Not a bad song on them. And they're blowing people's minds with just how powerful they are as a three piece. They're a band that people put earplugs in for because they're just so loud and so big and so tight. Then Jake just kind of dissolves the band. He wants to do bigger things. All of a sudden, there's like 11 musicians on the records. <laughs> they go from like, but they're great records. And they find their, they actually find their biggest commercial success uh, during that time. I mean, that's really what, that, that, I mean, that's really what happens is the band, uh, uh, you know, finds their biggest success with Jay with bigger, bigger, uh, doing bigger things. But they still sound like Dinosaur Jr. Like that. The wagon, that album, Green the Green Mind, still sounds like Dinosaur Junior. It's just like, oh wait, there's like four guitar tracks on this song, <laughs> and then wait, there's a violin on this song. <laughs> and, 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 and there's a lot of that going on, but they 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 have their biggest success, I would say, from '91 to '97. Their biggest radio hit would have been that song, Feel the Pain, which I. You know, I had to send you the, the Beavis and Butthead link earlier. I'm sure I've seen. I watched every episode of Beavis and Butthead. I'm sure I seen that when I was a kid, but I had I had no idea that that was they were on there. That was freaking awesome. They're just sitting there golfing the entire time, and Beavis and Butthead are having this whole conversation about them golfing around the city. And I always love it how that song, the 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 um the myth behind it. I don't. I've never gotten a verification on whether or not it's true. Jay Maskus's mother was a dentist and an avid golfer. So that's where that song and video comes from. The song is Feel the Pain. I feel the pain of everyone. It's about being in a dentist office. <laughs> and then the video is kind of a tribute of her playing golf. <laughs> yeah. And Jay Maskus is, honestly, if you ask me who my favorite guitarist of all time is, my favorite guitarist of all time is Jay Maskus. It's not Johnny Marr from the Smiths. It's not Greg Ginn from Black Flag. These are people who are very close. They're really close, but I would say my favorite guitarist of all time is Jay Maskus. I'm just always blown away how like incredibly dirty these solos can sound, but you're like, I could never do that. It's almost like this is somebody who clearly has a natural talent and like, it's like they're not even trying. Like if they tried hard, it would sound too clean. 
You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he could play really clean if oh, he I'm wanted sure to. He could. He's got these. He put he's his solo records are these really like really cool Neil Young folksy records, and he's this, playing acoustic this is guitar. Another reason why people think he's inebriated half the time because he sounds like he doesn't fucking care, but that's the way he sounds. Like that's his sound. You know, like he doesn't give a shit. But he's not like stoned. He's not drunk. He just doesn't care. He's like, whatever. This is how I'm gonna do it. Well, yeah. Well, when when the band when the band uh, dissolves in '91, Lou Barlow, their uh, their bass player, he forms a band called Sebado, which could have easily been on this list as well. Um, hugely influential indie rock band, and for their first couple records, all their songs were about how much I hate Jay Mascus. <laughs> For breaking up Dinosaur Jr. and how much oh, of an egomaniac and how... Because he was one of those very, very much it has to be my way kind of people. That was just how he was. So, But here's the thing. Dinosaur Jr. breaks up in 97. And when I say break up, it shouldn't even be break up. Jay Maskus just decides to stop doing Dinosaur Jr. records. Because at this point, he's the last member of the band. You know, he's the, It's Jay Maskus's band. He doesn't get them back together until 2007. And in traditional Jay Maskus way, he does it by going to a Sebado show and just being like, hey, Lou, want to get the band back together? <laughs> Murph's in. <laughs> so they just get back the original three-piece in 2007, and they're still going, and they're still putting out great records. I think it's the best, the best rock reunion there's ever been, I would say, is Dinosaur Jr., They've put out five albums since 2007. They're all incredible. I actually think their most recent one is the best of the reunion records. And everyone just gets better than the next. They tour all the time and they put on these great shows. They're still playing very big venues. First time I'd seen it, the first time I saw them after they reunited was at the Electric Factory. It was me, Greg, who gets mentioned on the show. We hope to have him on here to, you know, at some point. Uh, and my my little brother Patrick. It was his high school graduation present. He wanted to see Dinosaur Junior, which I felt like the the proudest big brother of all time. <laughs> and very cool show. It's Dinosaur Junior playing their second album, Bug, in its entirety. And here are the opening acts. The opening acts are Henry Rollins doing a Q and A with Dinosaur Junior. <laughs> Because they're his favorite band. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's and then so the <laughs> and then the first opening band is Off, who were to me at that time the best hardcore punk band going. It was uh, it, they're still around. I don't know why I'm saying we're best punk round, uh, best hardcore punk band going. It was uh, it's Keith Morris, the original Black Flag singer of Black Flag and singer of the Circle Jerks. He formed this band in the mid 2000s that just put out the best hardcore punk rock records post 2000 ever. So it was dinosaur junior. And the two openers were, um, Henry Rollins, who was the last singer of black flag and off, which featured the first singer of black flag. Kind of a fun show. The second time I saw them again, it was me, Greg and my brother. It was a few years later and they were opening for primus. So it was just this awesome 90s bill. I had never seen Primus. And my favorite part of the show was that even though the Electric Factory show, they headlined and played a really long set. Besides Bug in its entirety, they did a million other jams. They did not play the cover of Just Like Heaven. The Cure cover, which I did include Uh, in the playlist. 
Yeah, man, that that's a great cover, dude. Great it's a cover. great cover. It's a great cover. Robert Smith from The Cure says it's by far his favorite Cure cover because it's just doing, it's legitimately doing their own thing. Like, it's not trying to sound like The Cure. It's, it's, it's clearly a dinosaur. They make it their own song. So they opened up with it when I saw them open for Primus. I'm like, oh, wow, they're playing less songs and they're actually playing it tonight. Fun. I had to inform now, you that I just broke my own heart because I was like, I, I wouldn't mind seeing these guys. These guys are awesome. So I just looked up some tickets. I, I'm in Southern California, if you guys don't know. And they're playing in I, – I I'll go to a certain few places. I, I fucking hate L.A. I will not go to L.A. unless I absolutely have to. So I look Let for, me guess. Like, it's already so, is it already sold out? Is that what it is? All right. So the first thing I look for is San Diego because I, I love San Diego. The San Diego show is supposed to be like a few days after uh, my daughter is born. So that's clearly out of the card. So I'm like, all right, well, let me look prior to then. Their first show is like 30 minutes from here in Pioneer Town, which is this very small town. It's just like an old ass looking bar. It's a cool venue. Clicking on it like, oh, yeah, tickets are available now. I'll buy tickets for this. 35 bucks short. Sold out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Set, go 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 to the third party and set a set a price alert. Yeah. Set a price alert. I'm probably so as soon as that. one pops up in your range, I, th- it's awesome. They let you do that now. Set the price alerts. Yeah, this is like you get a notification where she's supposed to get born. Like she still could be born then, but I'd be willing to gamble on that. You know, then yeah. And they're a band you have to see. They're they're, they're a band live that is just incredible. And another awesome live, I had another amazing live uh, Jay Maskus experience that I was not expecting, and I have to tell the story on the podcast. It's one of my, I wouldn't say it's one of the best shows I ever went to. It's one of the most special shows I've ever gone to. Maybe the most special show I've ever gone to. So this would have been the year 2014, and Fred Armisen of Saturday Night Live in Port Atlanta, Port, uh, Portlandia, Portlandia fame. Yeah, I know. My, I got tongue-tied there. Portlandia fame is doing a comedy show in Philly at uh, a really cool venue in Philly. I just assume it's going to be a comedy show. I did notice that he was doing an opening set as Ian Rubbish. If, I don't know if you saw their Saturday Night Live, the Ian Rubbish Saturday Night Live skit. Did you ever see that? Uh, it's like he's playing like an old like punk rocker, right? Isn't that? He's like, oh, yeah. yeah he, like, he's, he's a punk rocker who was in love with Margaret Thatcher, which is the funniest thing in the world because punk rockers did not love Margaret Thatcher. So it's, so songs are like, Hey Maggie, you're all right. When, because of you, I sleep at night. You keep England safe. And it's just, it's just, you're a very special lady. It's just awesome. It's awesome. So I'm like, all right, I'll go to this. I love the Ian Rubbish stuff. I had the Ian Rubbish EP on vinyl. I got it on record store day. Like yeah, I am in Brad love. Is awesome, I, man. I'm in love with that Ian Rubbish record. So I'm like, I will go see the Ian Rubbish set, see him in character, and then I'll check out, you know, him doing stand up and whatever he's doing. So he goes, he does the Ian Rubbish set. It's amazing. It's really cool. He's got a band with him. They're fine. Does his stand up. He shows some uh, Portlandia clips from the upcoming um, upcoming season, and I think that I think that's it. And he goes, "Well, I got a band with me, um, so you know what? Let's play some songs." But um, we're gonna bring out one of my good friends here. 
He's one of the best guitarists who's ever lived. Uh, Jay Mascus, everybody. <laughs> he brings out Jay Mascus. And then he goes, oh, and for, I've got another guitarist here. He's your local hero, Kurt Vile, everybody. So we got Kurt Vile and Jay Mascus with Fred Armisen. And they're just playing like these punk rock songs that they like, they wrote probably a couple hours ago and they play for like an hour. There's some dinosaur junior covers mixed in some Kurt Vile original songs. Interesting note. I played little league baseball with Kurt Vile. That's like my little claim to fame. Oh, that's <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Um, but, and they did this amazing cover of life goes on by the damned. And I was, my mind was just blown. I was not expecting this at all. Like I did not go to this show at all thinking I was going to get a great music experience. Yeah. That's awesome, man. What a surprise. Yeah. It was a beautiful surprise. It was an absolutely beautiful surprise. And yeah, definitely go check out that Ian rubbish, uh, EP. If you can find it, it's quite great. I'll have to check it out, man. But yeah, I loved him from Saturday Life. He did awesome, awesome sketches. Most notably to me, not just Ian Rubbish, but he played Prince quite quite often on Saturday Night Live. Oh, uh, he was great as Prince. Great as Prince, and that uh, the punk the punk rock uh, the punk rock wedding reception. If you ever saw that, is pretty amazing. I don't think I've seen that. I'll have to look that one up. Oh, I'll send you the I'll send you the link. It's 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 great. Uh, so so for the next band that we'll talk about, this is this is um one of it's kind of interesting that we did these is the two bands that weren't on SST at one point or another are also the two bands, in my opinion, were the closest to making it big mainstream. And it's kind of cool that there was not by uh, nature, but they were the uh, two bookends of uh, what we have here. And that would be the Pixies. Yeah, the Pixies were, they were big for their time. I mean, they weren't, again, they weren't huge. You know, they were probably, I would say a little, maybe like a notch under Sonic Youth's popularity right around there. Would you say that's about right? Yeah, it's about right. Uh, but they were knocking on the doorstep of. I mean, when you look at the, when you look at the, their songs that did make it big, like the songs that people know, it's shocking that they never had a top forty hit. Oh, I agree. Like at, out of that, out of the bands that were on your playlist, I said the replacements should have been huge. Like I can't, I can't, I can't fathom why this band wasn't huge. But obviously, you already explained that. The other band was the Pixies. I was like, how are they not bigger than any of these other bands? Well, I mean, they form in '86. I think their first I think their first record I think I think Surf uh Surfer Rosa I think comes out in 89 I could have the date wrong. I don't have them sitting in front of me. I think it was uh 89. Now here's what they they were such a big deal on the uh the live scene that legendary producer Steve Albany produces their first record which was on an indie label. Which is pretty crazy to think about. Steve Albini's like, yeah, I got you. I mean, he's produced other records. Most most of the records he produces are on indie labels. But the fact that he's their debut record is produced by Steve Albini is saying a lot. Um, for those who aren't like as uh, nerdy and have more time on their hands than myself, uh, the most popular record you would know that Steve Albini uh, produced would be uh, Nirvana's In Utero. That would be uh, is probably most uh, his biggest. That's a great record. Uh, yeah, but their first record, Surfer Rosa, which has, I mean, two really so- songs that are well known in Gigantic and uh, Where Is My Mind. Gigantic was surprising to me. You know, like that that song caught on with me like quite a bit. 
uh it was it's probably one of my favorite songs from them from from the four or five that we have on this list but the, the song that struck me the most was actually debaser because I, I heard debaser like the first couple times i heard it i was like what the fuck is this like whatever man and then by the third time i was like oh they're just having fun this song's just fucking fun man i like this shit <laughs> Well, the thing is, Surfer Rosa is definitely a more uh, serious record in uh, in tone. That's the one that Gigantic and uh, Where Is My Mind are on. Where Is My Mind, everybody knows, is the uh, the song that is playing as the buildings collapse in Fight, in fight Club. Like, that's where everybody knows it from. Um, but, you know, Doolittle, Doolittle, which is their next record, is a more fun record. And to me, their best record, which is the baser. Like you said, they're, they're having a lot of fun with it. Another song they're having a lot of fun with on that is Here Comes Your Man, which is one of those songs, too, would be on my perfect songs list. They it's I mean, it doesn't really sound like anything else they did. It's a perfect pop song. It's an absolutely perfect pop song. And um, Frank Black, uh, you know, Pixie's singer, um, he said that was our Tom Petty song. We wanted to make a Tom Petty song. He's like, we, we, we had this in our back cattle. We had this in our back pocket for years. We'd been playing in the clubs. Never thought we would ever record it because it didn't sound like us. And then it becomes our most well-known song. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of range and diversity, which is, you know, very good to have. Again, Dinosaur Jr. is probably like my favorite band on here. They have a unique sound, but they sound, you know, somewhat similar. Like you hear another Dinosaur Jr. song, like, yeah, it's Dinosaur Jr. But the Pixies are fucking all over the place, man. All over the place. Yeah, I mean, the only reason I know it's a Pixie song is because I know the records. Like, yeah, I, I know, so I know exactly. No, but I know that's I know exactly what you're talking about. They've had a weird. They had a weird arc. I mean, like I said, they were like just on the cusp of blowing up pre-Nirvana. Like, we're on the cusp of basically being Nirvana. You know, being that band that was gonna, and they were much more in line. To, like, I always said that uh, Dinosaur Junior was that band that was primed to do that because of their catalog. And what they did before and after Nirvana. I think they sound the most like Nirvana, in my opinion. But Dinosaur Jr., they weren't as commercially viable. They didn't have a look. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus, ugly, fat guy. Oh, I'm sorry, Jay. Didn't mean that. You, you Don't hate me for that. But I mean, as, as, as far as A&R guys aren't like, MTV's not knocking down the door to put them on a video that isn't on 120 Minutes or Alternative Nation. Yeah, he didn't have like the, the, the slightly longer blonde hair of Kurt Cobain. But I mean, you look at the Pixies, they have a couple women in the band. Like, so to me, it's kind of shocking that they didn't take that step. Same with Sonic Youth. I mean, Kim Gordon's a beautiful woman. I don't know how that didn't happen. So, th- so they break up in 93. They never really got the residual Nirvana uh, popularity until many years later, which is very weird. Like, I don't remember. I mean, at least in my opinion, I don't remember the Pixies in like, getting like daytime MTV play the way uh, Dinosaur Jr. or uh, Sonic Youth did. Yeah, I don't recall that either. I, this was a band I never really got into, but like listening to these songs, I was like, oh, I should have really liked them. I'm surprised. You know, like the only the only thing I've seen anytime in the past, like 10 years or so regarding the Pixies was uh, that new TV show, Yellow Jackets, takes place in the 90s. Well, part of it does anyways. And one of the girls that grew up, she's been like probably like her late 30s, early 40s, She's wearing a pixie shirt at one point. Like, ah, there you go. Like, oh yeah, and the pixies shirt. and the pixies and the pixies are in the opening credits of that song. That, that, the credits of that episode too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah. So both Kim's. So here's what's here's what's strange. So the pixies, they break up in '93. They 
reunite somewhere in the late 2000s. I can't remember exactly. Maybe mid, somewhere in 04, 05, just for touring purposes at first. Those tours get really, really great reviews, like big time. Everybody loves the Pixie, re- pick, uh, these, the Pixie reunion. When are they going to put out a record? When are they going to put out a record? They don't put out another record until 2014. Holy and this shit. Is such a, and it's such a... And, and the records are good, but here's the sad thing. Kim Shattuck had died the year before they recorded the record. Mm. And Kim Deal leaves the band before they record the record. So now it's just the Pixies with an all-dudes band. That's weird. Recording. It's not the same. It's not the same. No. It's just not the same. It's not the same. And Frank Black's one of those guys who had a very, very awesome uh, solo career. At See, the that's that's the strange thing, too, about the Pixies breakup. We're going to talk about Nirvana residuals, like the residual uh, effect of the Nirvana hype. Maybe the Pixies didn't experience it, but Frank Black experienced it. And Kim Deal definitely experienced it with the Breeders. I mean, the breeders become a, were, were a pretty big deal there, but yeah, they they I, I would I would agree with you. It would be them and the replacements would be the two that to me were the most surprising that didn't didn't uh, take that next step into stardom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Pixies were like almost there, and the replacements like I, I the replacements think they were replacements like, were really almost there. They were really almost there. They have more of a radio sound than even the Pixies, like. There's so many songs from the replay. Like you already, you're, you only have like four or five songs. Then, like every one of these could be on the radio. Like how that I mean, put it, band not huge. I mean, put it this way: the Pixies when they got back together, as much as everybody loved it, and as much as they were selling out the venues they were playing, they were still playing places like the Electric Factory. The replacements were playing arenas That's when crazy. they got back together. That's crazy, dude. The Electric Factory, just so you guys know, probably holds four thousand thirty five. Thirty-five hundred to four thousand. Okay. Yeah, that depending on how depending on how you have the layout. Yeah. Which is nuts to think, like the Pixies. That's crazy, especially you know, back then. Yeah. Whereas, like, like I said, the replacements when they did their reunion, they 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 had a re- they had some arena sellouts. Nuts, man! Absolutely crazy. All right, guys. So I do want to let you know the next show that we do. We promised you before we were going to do between the buttons. That's what we were supposed to record this week, but we wanted to do this to get it out in time because Nevermind's turning thirty. So instead of just talking about Nirvana, which everybody's probably going to be doing, we wanted to talk about the bands that have influenced Nirvana. So that's why John, thank you, John, for making the playlist. We had all these songs set up before then. I got a big education because this was a period of time that, you know, I I was really just starting to listen to music and starting to pay attention to it. I didn't really know what the hell was happening. So I got a good education from this. I hope you guys did too. Uh, John clearly gave us a lot of information. So thank you for that, John. My pleasure, man. I could I could talk about all these bands all day. You should uh, check out in a couple years from now when I start my exclusive replacements podcast, which will probably <laughs> happen at some day. Because I could just talk about the replace. I could talk about the replacements for four hours a day. For sure. Well, I'm sure we'll touch on them again in the future. But for now, you guys should uh, continue to follow us over on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, all those things. You guys can follow us on Twitter as well at Nerdthusiast. Make sure you guys follow John. John, where can people follow you at? On Instagram, SloopJohn232. On uh, Twitter, SloopJ232. And uh, this is going to be my last uh, thing to say to Matt. Go see Dinosaur Jr. You have to see them. I'm going to try. I'm going to have to get secondhand tickets, though, which I, I, 
it's really against my integrity to do so, but maybe I'll get a decent deal and we'll see. You might even get to the point where somebody loses money on them and then your then your integrity is boosts. That's true. That's true. Uh, I'll have to check out those marketplaces and see what I can find. If you guys want to follow me, it's at from NJ2. The two is the number two. CA over on Twitter. Please support us over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Nerdthusiast is where you guys can provide us some support. You can give us just a dollar a month or more if you'd like. You get different perks. You can get get a you know voting on poll topics exclusive videos every single month we have all sorts of things over there for you guys to check out so please do so thank you for listening to the show next month we plan on doing between the buttons or just a rolling stones discussion maybe we'll just talk about them in general i'm not sure yet but definitely listen to between the buttons be prepared in in case we only talk about that album all right so until next time you guys take care